This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure, long gone. Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W 670 podcast. This is season two, episode number 12. Pakoda hates the Cubs. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on the socials, Fly the W670 on Twitter, Instagram, and Fly the W on Facebook, or email us at Fly the W670 at gmail.com. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show. We are live on 670 The Score from 5:30 until 10. And as always, I am joined by my buddy Crowley. Crowley, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, and even more importantly, tomorrow, happy pitchers and catchers report. We are here. We've made it. So We've made it, Crowley. It's also happy happy Pakoda Day. Pakoda projections are out. Uh, I don't know if I'm I'm too happy about that one. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, Pakoda, Pakoda projections are out. It's always an exciting time. Usually happens right around the same time that pitchers and catchers report. So let's get into it right away. Crawley, what did uh, Pakoda have to say about our Cubs? And maybe even more importantly, people have heard Pakoda before, but maybe explain it to the to the podcasters. Yeah, so Pakoda is used by baseball perspectives. It's a system for projecting player performance. Uh, Pakoda is an acronym. It stands for Player Empirical Comparison Optimization Test Algorithm. So it's best known for its use of comparable players. And so you try to predict future performance using historical comparisons of players with similar career paths, right? And so you can also use it, uh, it can be applied to an entire team as well as to project records, uses predicted depth charts to establish the projected runs for and against each team before gleaning a projected win total from that. Now, Obviously, no one is claiming that every prediction will come true, but Pakoda is unfortunately widely regarded as an accurate predictor in the industry. If we take last year's Cubs team, for example, right? Last year, uh, Pakoda had the Cubs having 70.4 wins and 90.6 losses. Okay. And so, I, here's what I hold on, hold on. I don't get the point four and the point six. 
It, 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 it's math. It's, it's a math, right? So it, it, it had him at, if you're looking here, 70 wins, 90. So so basically you're going to go about 90 and uh, 70. And 70 92. and 92. Right. right. Well, just why don't they just do 70 and 92? I mean, you can't get half a win. I mean, this isn't hockey where you get two points and one point for a tie and then a, a point if you force overtime. I mean, come on. You, you either win or you lose. There are no ties. There are no you're, there are no you got to extra innings so you get half of a win. I mean, come on. Well, that that is Pakoda. So if you look at it last year, seventy wins, ninety two losses. They and if you look last year, they had Milwaukee winning the division with ninety three games, St. Louis with eighty, Cincinnati would have had they had in third place at seventy nine wins, and Chicago in fourth place with seventy. Now the final results looked a little bit different. Now as as far as the Cubs are concerned. The, the Cubs outperformed their Pocota projections by four games, and they finished in third. St. Louis blew through their Pocota projections, 93 wins, Milwaukee 86, Cubs 74, Cincinnati went way under with 62, and Pittsburgh 62. So it just goes to show you, you know, it, it, it's not 100% accurate. You could see, I mean, it was a 13-game difference for St. Louis, you know, Cubs only a four-game difference. But that's how it looked last season. But this, Dustin, is where I scratch my head. This year, Pakoda has the Cubs going 77 and 85. So Pakoda believes that this team will get three more wins than last year. Okay. Pakoda believes the Cubs have only a 9.5 chance to make the postseason and a 4.2 chance to win the division. Dustin, when you saw that number, 77 and 85. How surprised were you? I was disappointed. I, I was very disappointed. Not sure um, how they came up with that. I would always like having a Pakoda guest on, somebody to talk Pakoda, if you will, to kind of dig into those numbers a little bit deeper. I, I figured 80 might be what we would have gotten from Pakoda. Now, the only thing maybe is that the division is not so good. Cubs division is not so good, but this year, in all of baseball, you're playing less divisional games than before. So maybe that's part of the calculation because you don't get to play as many games against the Reds and the Pirates as you had in the past. So maybe that's a little bit what they're worried about with the Cubs. Um, something else I think everybody's worried about with the Cubs is where's the pop coming from. Right, where where's the, where's the power coming from, and what's going on in the back of the bullpen? So maybe those are maybe those are the reasons behind it. What well, were your what was your reaction to it? I, I was I was uh, pretty disappointed. I, I um I don't know. I know Pakoda usually kind of sometimes goes on the low end of things, but I thought that that I, you know tell me that that this team is three wins better than last year. I, I don't know about that. Um, you know they have. And then I was looking at it. They had Milwaukee in first place, 87.6, and St. Louis, 87.5. So about a statistical tie. They have the Cubs in third place with 77, Pittsburgh in fourth, 70, and Cincinnati in fifth with 66. I can see that with Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. That yeah, seems about right. Yeah. Yeah. But you're telling me the Cubs are only seven games better than Pittsburgh? I, I just, ugh, I don't know about that. And so I, I started digging into the numbers, Dustin. I started, I, I got, I got, frustrated so i started to take a look i said how are you telling me that the cubs are only going to improve three games and, and again like you said some of it may be the fact that you're going to have to play better teams especially teams in the american league 
you know, you're going to have to play the NL West and, and, and NL East and the ALE. You know, these are strong teams. But I, I'm just looking at this and I'm saying to myself, okay, what when you look at this, the infield, for the most part, Dustin, is completely different. And you've got a huge difference in center field, okay? Huge! So before we compare the 2022-2023 Cubs teams, I just wanted to throw out another term here. We already threw out Pakoda, and baseball loves its acronyms. But here's WAR, right? The WAR statistic is one that measures a player's values in all facets of the game by deciphering how many more wins he's worth than a replacement-level player at the same position, a minor league replacement or readily available free fill-in free agent. So that's what WAR measures is, is the value, right? How many, how many wins are you worth more than just the average player, okay? This season, in 2023, the Cubs have three players that are competing for time at first first base, right? Trey Mancini had a 1.4 wet lat, war last year. Eric Hosmer, 1.1. And then Matt Mervis, we, we can't tell because obviously he was in the minors last year, okay? If we look at the 2022 team, who do you think had the most games at first base, Dustin? 2022 most games at Rivas? Alfonso Rivas, 92 starts. And that was a war of 0.5, half a game. Next up, Frank Schwindel, 48 games, negative 1.1 war. So he was worse than your average fill-in player. P.J. Higgins, 38 games at an even war, zero. Wasn't worth any more or any less. Patrick Wisdoms, 18 games, 0.9 war. David Bodie, six games, 0.8 war. Jared Young, if you remember him, which I'm sure most of our listeners don't, two games at 0.1 war. So you I don't remember him either. You basically got zero production from first base, zero. You basically could have picked in any free uh, 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 minor leaguer or free agent that was just sitting on the scrap heap and you would have done just as good at first base. So you have to say that Trey Mancini and Herrick Hosmer, and we don't even know Matt Mervis, but anything could be better than last year's first base class. Anything could be better. I mean, again, put even just get, Matt, make Matt Mervis a zero, right? Just to be fair, right? You could just a zero, okay? Right. And it's still significantly better than what went on last year. Significantly. Right. Now... This season, Nico Horner will be the opening day second baseman. Nico played shortstop last season, and with that, he had the team-high 4.5 war. So he was worth almost four and a half wins more than an average player. Now, you're going to have to anticipate that's going to go up because he's going to be playing an easier position at second base, okay? Last season, eight players got playing time at second base. Nick Madrigal, 59 games with a .7 war. Chris Morrell, 33 games, 1.4 war. Jonathan Villar, 29 games at a point, a negative 0. 0.6 war. Zach McKinstry. I was say, he had to be, neg- he had to be negative. He negative. Had to be negative. Zach McKinstry, 19 games, 0. 0.5 war. David Bodie, 18 games, 0. 0.8 war. Andrelton Simmons, 18 games, negative, point, negative 0. 0.2 war. Esteban Kairos, 12 games, 0. 0.4 war. And Ildemaro Vargas, three games at negative 0.1 war. I mean, you have one, two, three, four players in negative war at second base, and now you're going for Nico? I mean, okay, you know? So I, yeah. You wonder what they're looking at, right? I mean, that's why I think it's my job to get one of these Pakoda talking heads 
on with Molly and Haw this week. Okay, we need some answers. Or next time we, we podcast, we need some answers, Crawley. We need we, answers need, we need to run those numbers back at them and see what they uh, what they spit back out at us. Now, in this case, Crawley, you saw the the team. These are the team projections. They also will release later this week the player projections, right? right. We don't have those yet. They're not no. out yet. Okay. No, these are teams. So Dansby Swanson takes over at shortstop. Last season for the Braves, 5.7 war. That would have been the highest on the Cubs team last year. Um, Nico played 130, 30 games. We talked about his war. Angelton Simmons played 18 at negative 0.2 war. Christopher Morrell, 13 games, 1.4 war. Zach McKinstry, nine games, 0.5 war. Ildemora Vargas, six games, negative 0.1 war. And Jonathan VR, two games at negative 0.64. Now, the one position that I think we're a little nervous about that the Cubs did not show much improvement in is going to be third base. Patrick Wisdom was the primary third baseman last year, 105 games with a 0.9 war. You had Zach McKinstry, 21 games, 0.5 war. Christopher Morrell, 18 games, 1.4 war. And then you had Bodie, VR, Higgins, and, and Nico Warner even had one game. So in general, not much changes other than the fact that you may see, you know, Morell wasn't with the team last year. I think you're going to see a lot of mixing and matching at third base with Wisdom and Morell. So I think that's a big difference. Finally, Dustin, the worst position on the field for the Cubs last year, center field. Cody Bellinger is now taking over as the everyday center fielder for the Cubs. As bad as he was offensively last season, his defense raised his war to 1.2 games. That's what Cody Bellinger was worth playing an awful season on offense. Okay? In who had the most games in center field for the Cubs last year, Dustin? Christopher Morell. Rafael Ortega, 67 games with 0.3 war. Christopher Morell, 57, 1.4 war. So I was close. I was close. Close. Nelson Velasquez, 32 games with a negative 0.6 war. Michael Aramosillo, 28 games, negative 0.6 war. Jason Hayward, 26 games, negative 0.7 war. I mean, and then you had Hap, three games, Wisdom, two games, and Narciso Crook had one game. But, I mean, you're talking again, one, two, three players that had negative war playing center field for you last year. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And so, to me, when I look around the diamond, first, second, short, that's all you've improved everywhere there, and you've improved in center. You got a full season with, say, a Suzuki. I'm going to talk to uh, John Antonoff and Rich Beasterfield in the second section. And uh, it looks like uh, looks like uh, say has been hitting the weight room. So I mean, there's yeah, no he's doing way. a lot of he's doing a lot of this at uh, spring training, a lot of flexing. I've seen a lot of flexing, but I'm I'm looking at this, and 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 uh, MLB Insider Anthony Cantrevis ranked the Cubs eight out of ten teams that won the off season. It said although they didn't land the absolute best of the shortstop crop or the top of the rotation starter, Dansby Swanson and Jamison Tyone unquestionably make this a better ball club, and those guys might both still have their best seasons ahead of them. The Cubs were in perfect position to take a swing at Cody Bellinger comeback. If it works out, he could either vault Chicago into contention or serve as a gorgeous trade chip. They have seemingly improved their offensive floor with the signing of Trey Mancini. They added veteran reliever Brad Boxberger and took a flyer on Eric Hosmer. Is this a playoff team? Hard to say. Is it more capable, dependable team than the one that took the field in 2022? 
almost certainly. So for me, Dustin, to sit there and just see a, a three-game difference from where they ended up last year to what Percota has them this year, maybe you're right. Maybe it just has to do with playing a harder schedule. As far as the back of the bullpen, I've said it before, I think Theo and company have done a phenomenal job. If you want to put what, what I think the Cubs have done best the last few years in putting together these teams is putting together good back of the bullpens. So I, I, I really am sitting here struggling to kind of try to figure out how it's not rated better. You take a look at the pitching staff. I think the pitching staff looks better than last. You know, most of it's pretty much the same, but you got a lot of guys that are hopefully going to be healthier this year. You got Stroman back, Steele, Smiley, Adrian Sampson. We don't know about Kyle Hendricks, but we said add Jameson Tyone to the mix. I think the bullpen is going to be deeper. I think your middle relief is going to be one of the strengths of the team. So, so you know, the other one that I think that kind of gets looked at when we take a look at hitting is how pathetic the Cubs were with their DH. Okay, that was just awful. I'm sorry. That that was just when I looked at that, I, I just said to myself, this is this is you know. You might as well let the, the pitchers pitch, to be honest, the way that the DH was working. Yeah, the pitcher sit, you mean? Yeah. I mean, yeah. so what do you think? Right now, Wisdom is going to get the majority of uh, – you think it's Wisdom? Is Morel playing third? How, how do you see that? Who, who, you know, Mancini, who do you see Who do you see opening day DH? I, I You know, that's a good question, and I think that that's what spring training is going to kind of uh, help determine, and that's why, you know, it's exciting that the – that you have the um, position players come in the 20th, so that'd be on Monday. But I don't know. I think a lot of it's going to be mixing and matching. I think this is where, I think this is as far as David Ross is concerned, obviously his very first year, 2020, he makes it in the postseason. 2021, they were doing really good, and then they hit a skid, and and, and they never recover from it. I think they were in first place when they, you know, and then they no hit the Dodgers, that combined no hitter, and then the wheels fell off the whole thing. But I think this is going to be a time where David Ross is really going to have to prove his managerial worth because I think you have a lot of really interesting matchups that you can play. So who makes the team coming out of spring training? You know, who's on the mound, righty versus lefty? What are the numbers versus these guys? I think that's what's going to determine um, more often than not who's going to be the DH. But what I do know is it's not going to be uh, backup catchers all the time. No, it won't be backup catchers all the time, and it won't be – for me, Reyes, it won't be him either, right? He won't be. He won't be the guy. He won't be the guy no, either. No, he won't be. He. We won't see any of him flexing going around second base this year. No, and, and, <laughs> and like I said, this to me, I don't. I don't. Everybody that I have talked to, whether it's players, whether it's coaches, and I know everyone this time of year says, "Oh, the team looks great. Everybody's hungry. Everybody's this. I'm in the best shape of my life." That's what everybody says. I took a look at Seiya Suzuki. He looked pretty jacked to me. I took a look at some of these guys. You know, some of these guys have been out in Arizona since October, November season ended. They said Cody Bellinger's been in Arizona ever since he signed with the Cubs the day after he's been out there. So how is it humanly possible that this, uh, you know, we're going to have to, you know, what we're going to have to do, Dustin, you know, and and we're getting close to that point is we're going to have to break down the schedule and take a look. I remember last season when you and I talked, and I said, oh, I really don't like the first half. The second half looks a little bit better. You know, that first half of the season looked brutal. I think that we're going to have to really kind of, as we see, you know, how these teams look, and, and, and anything can happen. You know what I mean? I, I heard when I was listening to Mullion Hall this morning, uh, I, I heard you guys talking about, uh, you know, the Sox having the problems with their pitcher and does he come out of camp. Those type of things pop up. Injuries are going to pop up, you know, but we, we do have to kind of start breaking down the schedule, taking a look month by month, 
and seeing what the heck is happening because that's that's the only thing I can think of when it comes to Pakoda. You talked about runs. It is going to be hard, but that's where the pitching and the run prevention is going to have to come in. They're going to have to hit with runners in scoring positions because you know they're not going to be hitting a lot of homers in my estimation. And you got to have you got you got to clean up the base running, which I think has to be to me the focal point of David Ross and his staff. The, the base running last season was atrocious. And I, I think Wilson Contreras is a big part of it, but he wasn't the only one, but he was a big part of it. And so I think that this team right now has to do everything that they can to focus on. And I, you can't make mistakes. You can't run into outs. You got to be smart about it. And hopefully that's what they're going to be really focusing on this spring training. Let's hope, Crowley. Let us hope. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season two, episode number 12. We're calling this one, Pakoda Hates the Cubs. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. In this segment, Crawley interviews Rich Biesterfeld and John Antonoff. And if you've seen any of the pictures or videos from Cub players in Mesa, chances are these guys took it. Now Crawley gets the vibe of what's been going on at Sloan Park. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, you've seen their images and videos splashed all over social media. They are the eyes and ears of Sloan Park, the kings of the backfields, Rich Beasterfield and John Antonoff. How are you doing, gentlemen? Doing well. Excellent. I, I, I got to ask, and I was talking to Rich before, I see long sleeves on Rich and he's in Arizona. What is going on with the weather, Rich? What, what is happening over there? Well, it was nice on Sunday, and then all the media descended on Monday. So I don't know if they brought the Chicago weather with them or what the problem is. But uh, no, it's supposed to, I think, start warming up, I think, by the weekend again. So, But it's been chilly the last couple of days. And, and John, you know by the time I get there, I mean, I don't, I mean, sun's out, gun's out, man. I want no shirt on. So I don't want to see any of this 50, 60 degrees garbage. I want 85 and sunny. You know, there was actually, uh, Rich, you know the name of the mountain ranges, but there was snow on the mountains today, I noticed, yep. on a few of the ranges. It was uh, it was pretty cold yesterday, and obviously it's colder the higher you go as well. So, well, the, re the reason I wanted to have you guys on is that it is, you guys are, are literally like kind of the eyes and ears for everybody out in Arizona. It's your pictures, it's your videos that everybody kind of retweets, or sometimes they don't do that, sometimes they just take it, but... You know, you were the guys that are around Sloan Park taking pictures and videos. Um, let's start with Rich. Rich, how long have you been doing this for? Um, probably more seriously since about 2018. Uh, left my my corporate job, um, was able to retire early, and so then kind of got involved. And then really 
heavily probably since about 2020. Nice. And what about you, John? How long have you been out there? Oh, you know, I came out for spring training in 2000. I think I met Tim Sheridan, if you know Boys of Spring, the PA yep. announcer. And so I kind of happened to run into him. I think it was 2010. And I was just, I just moved here and, and I didn't know who he was, but he had the same camera as I did. So I thought he might know how to uh, have the focus track. And he told me what he does. And so I asked him if he needed somebody to, told me about his website. I asked him if he wanted someone to take pictures for it during the games. And that's what got me into the games, got me my free lunch. And and so I've been doing it, uh, sending him photos. And then I got more serious, like when Javi and Sean Dunson Jr., Trevor Gretzky, and all those guys were stuck around extended spring training. I'm like, I had a lot of fun following the Cubs then, uh, the minor league, the extended team. And that's when I got into it. Uh, pretty hardcore for the Cubs. Now I'm I'm glad you bring up extended because extended spring training because the Cubs opened Sloan Park in 2014. They come from Ho Ho Cam and they move over to Sloan Park. But I think maybe people don't realize that these facilities aren't just for spring training. They are real literally the hub for the Cubs right there. They're used year round. And so when uh, when would you say that you started noticing players really start to show up in Mesa, Rich? When did you see them? A a lot of guys never really left, honestly, um, because like this past off season and the one before, I think they called the high performance camp um, more select. So it isn't a it isn't everybody, but a lot of the a lot of the top prospects have been have spent the winter out here. And the first first few months, I think, are more strength and conditioning, and then you start to see them usually back out on the field around early January. So you know, since January, we've been seeing guys and. And even like after Cody Bellinger signed, then we've seen him around the park a lot. Like Nico Horner's been around most of the winter. Yeah, when I talked to Ben Brown, we had him on the show. He said he, he just couldn't believe that these guys are basically that that that, that complex is available year round. And you know, for a lot of these guys, it's a great opportunity to really kind of push themselves to have the coaches there. Uh, John, when you see the players come and, and they kind of, you know, how many of these guys do you say notice you right away? And like, Hey, John, just like an old friend kind of hanging out again. Um, a lot of them now, like uh, pretty much all of them. I just got back into the facility for the first time today. So a lot of these people are looking at me because I'm like, oh, I used to be credentialed. And and uh, so they saw me in there. Some of the guys are like, what are you doing in here? I go, dude, I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so but. You know, once the lockdown happened, Rich and I were always around here shooting the minor leaguers. I, I felt even like during the lockdown, I mean, I, I felt like the players are going to get traded off like Bryant, Rizzo and and, and uh, KB. And, and once they got all these prospects in, in return, there was no one here to document it. Everything was closed down. And I had a, a video camera that I was using for my own workouts. And um, I decided to bring it out here and see what we can get. And it, it was really challenging you know, shooting from outside the facility through holes in the chain link fences where they got the green screens, you know, we'd actually use like a set uh, speculum technique. Just I'd stick rocks in there and then we'd literally squat down and take these photos. And, and the players came up to us like in the 2020 ritual remember this. And they said, Hey, thank you guys so much. Even the coaches are like, the players really appreciate what you're doing. And it was super challenging. It's been like that for a couple of years, you know, but it, it, it's still addictive to go out and do that. Um, as challenging as it is. John, I have a great picture. I think it was from 2020. You're in a mask, but you're still catching and shagging fly balls out there. It was, <laughs> it was a 
Me? It was a great picture. Yeah, yeah. You were. I'll send it to you. I'll send you the picture, man. But you were pretty. <laughs> you had some pretty good glove work, man. You're watching the balls go over the fence. I didn't know how you could do it. Looking through the green screen, and all of a sudden, the ball's coming, and you're ready making the catch. You know, I I had to be careful because some of the coaches thought I was ball hawking, and I would throw back. I've thrown back probably close to 800 to 1,000 balls. I was estimated around 600, but I thought about it. There's days I'd throw back 50 baseballs. And so it's like one of the coaches was like, oh, how many balls did you get today? I go, none. I go, look at the ones that are just over the fence here. I think, where do you think these came from? You know. <laughs> so it was like when you hang around, you get to know these ball hawks and the graphers, and, and they're full of information. Um, but I didn't want to be associated with it too much because they have a bad reputation too. And so when the coaches would see you, it's like, oh, dude, it's like the reason I'm here is because this is the only place we can get photos from. You know, the pit in between field one and two yeah. on field two, you can get some great shots, even if you're locked out. That's the best of the six fields to get good shots on. And, and a lot of the major leaguers were there this past month. So it was, it was kind of rewarding for us. And Rich, I saw you wrote a great article for Northside Bound about kind of, you know, about the players. And it was something personal. And you could tell that you had a personal connection with a lot of these guys. Yeah, that was it was a lot of fun to do. Um, reaching out and just, you know, some of the stories just really touching. And um, for me, I think it humanizes a lot of these guys. It's it's so easy to forget when you see a lot of the players on TV or, or MILB TV that this is still a guy who's, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old, a lot of them are, you know, maybe some a little bit older, but, um, you know, I think it was Moises Ballesteros, you know, talked about being able to buy his parents a home, um, you know, and I forget exactly what, what country he's from, but I'm, I'm assuming, you know, they didn't have a lot growing up. So to be able to do that, and I think it was Daniel Palencia giving equipment uh, to one of his young cousins and, and the little kid was just like jumping up for joy and just seeing that, that uh, them being able to give back was really cool. It is. It is interesting when you again you get to know these guys and and humanize them. And 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 I and and I was sitting there interviewing James Triantos, and it just clicked into my head. He's the same age as my son. I'm like, really? <laughs> like I, I still think I'm 21, but somehow the years have kind of passed by. So I'm going to put some of these photos up that you guys have taken. Uh, some of the first players that I saw coming back in January, you guys were taking some pictures. It looked like they were doing some, what, uh, guys that were coming back from more serious injuries. Uh, is that something that you usually see early on in January is guys coming back, showing some of the rehab stuff? I think yeah, I got a, lot of, a lot of them there were, yeah. It was like Ed Howard, um, I think that was that same day I saw him throwing a little bit. He was also actually taking ground balls. That was the first time I had seen him doing that, which was which was a great sight because um, he had a pretty serious injury last year. Now, the one guy, and, and I don't know, John, if you've seen him as well, Kyle Hendricks. This is a guy that we're used to being a bulldog, always being out there and seeing him gone last year and hearing he may not come back till May, June, who knows. Have you seen him at all? And, and has he been throwing? Have you seen him doing any work, John? Yeah, he was out there stretching today with the pitchers, uh, going through the you know the squats, the leapfrogs, all the all the stretches they do. And then I went somewhere else. I didn't. I thought he was done. But uh, when I went down to the minor league, the quads, uh, one of the graphers said that he was out there throwing long toss on one of the fields. And so I'm like, bro, you got to call me and let me know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you for this info. Um, so I'm going to look for him tomorrow to see if he's out there throwing. Usually they have a, a, a pattern, so he might be out there about the same time. 
Now, you guys kind of talked about it. You know, when all those players got traded, the core of Javi and KB and, and Riz and all those guys, all of a sudden, you know, there really wasn't much going on at the major league level. So the minor leaguers and the prospects, they've really begun, been the big story, especially last season, three out of the four affiliates going into the postseason. You saw it at Cubs convention where they, they basically gave the, like, last slot to the prospects, which they used to shove in the back on Sunday. So it's just been unbelievable. Um, but you've seen these guys come up. Uh, let, let's start with you, John. Which of the players that you look at, are you? do you feel like, wow, that guy is just so impressive. I can. He is a different type of talent than I've usually seen. Oh, man. You know, I, I tend to look at the – I tend to kind of look at the position players when I – and see stuff from them. Like pitchers, I can't really tell when they're warming up and throwing. There's guys, a lot of pitchers, I don't even see – play like uh take jordan wicks he was supposed to make his debut and we talked to the coaches and they said that he was going to make his debut at the azl and then they moved him up to what was it south bend and he made his debut there so i never even seen him pitch first time i saw him was like last i mean against competition was live bp last spring so the pitchers i don't get to see as much the position players it's kind of easy when you see someone read a route and just start flying and make a catch. You're like, dude, this guy's fast or this guy's got a quick bat or you can see he takes good pitches or, you know, you can see that I can see the technique, but with pitchers, it's, it's hard for me to determine how good they are when you're just watching them warm up on, on flat ground, you know, so but got, you can see, go ahead. I was going to say, I got a picture up right now of, of uh, that you took of the Cubs, literally their top three prospects from left to right. And you got Pete Crow Armstrong, Brennan Davis, and Kevin Alcantara. I mean, you know, gosh, when you when you take a look, one of them's drafted, two of them through the trades of those core players uh, that they got. But but that is just you know a group that you got to figure. You know, when you look at those three, I keep saying to myself, I two of those three guys have got to be up here, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's they have. I mean, it's like every. Every fan from every different team always looks at their prospects and thinks, look at these guys. And, and we think about their potential, but it seems like now it's like, you, even though you know they're not all going to make it, you still feel like they are because you watch the talent and there's just so much. I mean, I don't know how many are going to stay with the team. How many outfielders, how much like they're just loaded, you know? Right. I, I wish they would. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm done. My voice no, went I, up pretty high. I'm like, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely like a hundred percent, but that, that's the good thing is that like, I just remember back in the days where the Cubs would have like one great prospect and you didn't hear of anybody else. And then as you guys know, not all these guys are going to make it. They're not all going to pan out, but it was like, okay, the big hope is Josh bitters. And then that kind of, you know, fell away or the, you know, some, you know, just, but now it's like, I mean, I think about Braylon Marquez and, and Miguel Amaya guys that you guys have shot pictures of. And it's like those guys used to be the top and look at how quickly they've moved down that list. So it's kind of like it's really great to keep infusing the system with talent. Um, obviously, some of the big names that have been coming out it has been uh, obviously PCA and Matt Mervis. Rich, when, when you when you see a guy like PCA and I know you also saw him at uh, South Bend, I believe, right? Um, the weekend I was down there, he ended up, he was banged up and didn't play oh. that weekend. So I didn't get to see him there, but, uh, I watched him a lot during spring training last year. I mean, what stands out with a guy like PCA that's a little bit different than say other players that you see? Um, the, I think I put it in a tweet, uh, earlier this week where there's, there's not a lot of guys that I typically think of that you just want to watch play defense, but he's one just, um, 
just he he's quick he runs such good routes he anticipates so well and um just watching him it's you know sometimes there's that fine line between confidence and arrogance and i think he 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 straddles that line really well because he's very confident in his own abilities without coming across as you know somebody that oh gosh i i don't like this guy um <laughs> just when, when you get a chance to talk to him he's just he's a he's a really good kid and um I can see big things out of this guy. He's he's special. Now, now, John, you were you had an amazing video of it was Kevin Alcantara, and and it, and everybody was commenting about the hop, the Sammy hop, yeah. right? The Sammy Sosa hop, and somebody said. So I said I retweeted your stuff, and I said, "Man, this kid, you know, he could really crack it." Something like I made maybe made a Sosa comment, and somebody said, "Oh, he's got the Sosa hop too." And I said, "Well, if he can produce Sosa home run levels." I'm absolutely fine with that. When you watch that guy through the camera lens, John, I mean, it's, I forget you were, you, I think you had a measurement of one of his home runs. It was just absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, you know, from the first day when he, after the trade, I had looked through some of my photos. He, I think he debuted with the Cubs at, at Oakland on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. Cubs would always play Oakland and they, they switch home and away, home and away. And so he's up there. He's all decked out in his gold. He's got the gold elbow guards. But his debut, he had such personality right off the bat. I know this isn't about his physical talent, but man, he made a sliding catch um, in his first game. And then he slipped, but he got up to pick up and throw the ball. And then he slipped while he was throwing it. And you could hear both benches laughing. <laughs> like, like it, was, it was kind of funny. But then he gets up there and he does these wiggles. He'll get a pitch and he'll squat all the way down to the ground or he'll fall over sometimes. It's just like, um, <laughs> so he's he's somebody, somebody I saw right off the bat as having a ton of personality, but a ton of talent. And one thing, like I got all four of his home runs on video and you can see that he, for a guy that's so long limbed, he can attack inside pitches and he keeps his elbow really tucked and then extends his arms. And his home runs are towering. I mean, they're not – when he hits a laser, it goes out fast. He's got great exit velocity. Um, and most people don't know he's probably up there with, as one of the fastest guys in the organization because he's got such a long stride. Yeah, the Jaguar, man. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I got, I got to ask you guys because you guys, like I said, you, know, you see these guys – how shocked were you when you saw the season that Matt Mervis put up, Rich, when you were looking at that? I mean, like, you know, I, I, I always come up to you guys when I'm in spring training. Who's that? Who should I be looking at? Like, I'm always like, like I said, you guys are my eyes and ears out there along with a lot of us. Did Rich, did you have any idea that Mervis was going to put up that season that he did? No, I wish I could say I did. Um, I remember meeting him because, um, yeah, he, he came out in, in 2020. And so they had like fall in starts because of the no minor league season. And he was undrafted because they only five rounds and lots of people like to focus on, well, he, he wasn't a draft pick. He would have been a draft pick in a normal year. Um, but I remember meeting him just really nice kid and just, you know, working hard at first base, watching him and, and he had, he had some shots, but you know, it didn't jump out at you. And then, you know, kind of followed him and, and watched, and but yeah, the numbers you just put up this year was amazing. And just and he continued to do it, continued to drop his strikeouts, continued to hit the home runs with each level he rose. Um, just couldn't be happier for the guys. Like I say, another great guy. Got to you know see him and watch him in the fall league as well. And just you know how he made adjustments you know throughout the year. Um, some scouts 
Uh, you know, didn't rank, still don't rank him very high. I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder in a good way. And it's like, you know, doubt me. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All righty. Let, let, we're going to, we're going to dive in here really quick to some of the, some of the storylines on the big team. We talked the prospects. Now let's, let's talk about the majors a little bit here. Uh, John, I think you're the one that took this picture right here of Seiya Suzuki. Every player, you know, you always hear the famous quote, I'm in the best shape of my life. <laughs> I will tell you, holy cow, Seiya Suzuki looks jacked. I mean, when you saw him that first time coming out there, I mean, it's noticeable, yeah? You, you know, I he's, he's looking a little bigger, but I don't remember him. I only saw him at spring training last year, but everybody else seemed to notice that that's one that got by me. Um, but everybody's commenting on how thick he is. And uh, I don't and remember you, what he looked like last year. You took pictures of him pitching off the mound. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of guys do that. Javi used to do that. He'd just go up and start pitching. I have uh, Adon Sanchez. I saw him go up on the mound and start throwing. And I was I was happy that I went over there because he just kind of walked out and he started doing it. And it was, it was pretty cool because when he's in the outfield and you're locked out of the place, you know, it's hard to get my camera, my lens doesn't, you know, get, have the, the zoom power to get. So when the guy's way out there, I don't even, I don't even post the photo. So when he's pitching off there, but he looked good. He had some good form too. He was throwing curveballs, and he was, you know, throwing fastballs and he's got a decent curve actually. Okay. Well, maybe we got a two-way player on our hands here. Let's, let's just say now, now, Rich, you were somebody that got some of the first pictures of Nick, the stick, Nicky two strikes, magical, <laughs> At third base, okay. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a lot of questions because I mean, obviously, you know, you you pick up Dansby Swanson, Nico clearly moves over to second. You you have a lot of depth in that infield position, and the question is, where, where what do you do with Magical? And and the question would be, is his arm strong enough to, to to make that throw from third to first? I mean, and so what have you seen when you've watched um, Nick working out at third base? Um, actually the arm, ha- I, I've been pleasantly surprised. I think the arms look pretty good. Um, you know, he's still like, he was taking ground balls yesterday. Him and Patrick wisdom were alternating at third base and, you know, wisdom has a very good arm and, you know, you see that Matthew was, wasn't bad. You, I wouldn't compare the two, but you know, I mean, people have made jokes about, Oh, he's going to need a cutoff man, you know, at the pitcher's mouth. <laughs> Sorry. He, the guy's a pro athlete. Yeah, he, you know, I think he's been working all winter, and you know, it it probably is never going to rank out as you know one of the strongest arms of anybody, or compared like to somebody like Javi. But I think he can. I think he can do it. Um, you know, he he's looked he's looked pretty smooth. Um, he's working hard. I, I got to give the guy credit for you know being willing to do whatever he needs to do to make the team. And 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 as I mentioned, John, um, you're looking here at a picture that you took today of Nico and uh, Dansby Swanson working that middle infield. I mean, from the moment that Dansby's gotten here, he's. Ta- I remember that press conference. He talked, I want David Ross to give me in as many game reps with Nico. When Nico's in, I want to be in. Just talking about that. You took, uh, I think, a series of four different pictures of them on the field, off the field. What, what are you seeing from, from your, your perspective? Well, full disclosure, that was after the workout. I saw them walking out to the field, but then I'm like, I thought they were going to actually take round balls, but it was a marquee network promo. And so they were setting it up and I think they were just going through the motions. The team photographer was there 
I can't go onto that half field like that. I have to stay on the, the sidewalk area. So I, I got that photo old school, like lockout style. I went around the back and went through the opening that was there. And I, and it's hard to focus your camera through there. Just I had even better shots that didn't come out focused. So I'm glad that was one of the few that did. But I was actually outside the facility, just where the fans would enter. Um, and that's how I got that one. But they weren't they weren't working out. They were just doing a promo for uh, Marquee. Well, man, they look good doing just that. If that's how they look just on the promo, I can't wait to see the real thing. Now, now, uh, Rich, I, I was loving this uh, conversation. We were talking about uh, Kevin Alcantara the other day, and, and you wrote, I, I got your tweet up. It's fun to watch Cubs outfielder Kevin Alcantara take BP and hit absolute bombs. And I agree, Luke Stuckmeyer, that it's only BP. But when coaches and other players stop and watch it fly, it's impressive. And so, you know, this takes me back uh, to when, so when the Cubs really were bad, when Theo came and tore everything down and they were rebuilding, they used to do like this thing after, after the season was over for season ticket holders. And it would be Theo and Crane and then the two of them together at the end taking questions. And Theo would sit there and say, we have these young kids, and this is Jorge Soler, this is Glabar Torres, Javi Baez, uh, Kyle Schwarber, all these guys, he says, they're coming. And he would play these videos and you would hear the sound off the bat was different than what you normally heard. And so, you know, as you guys have become so accustomed to being around there, like you said, people, these guys, they, they've been around BP their whole lives. Normally they're not going to just stop and watch. So if they are doing that, that indicates something special. Would you agree with me, Rich? Oh, totally. Um, what do you say? That, that particular day, he just hit one mammoth shot. And like you say, everybody just kind of like stopped. Even everybody who was, you know, on the infield stopped and turned and watched. And same thing with the coaches. And of course, then they went back to business. But you could tell. You could tell when he hit that one. It was good. And like I say, it's batting practice. So it's not like somebody's throwing him a slider, you know, on the edge or a curveball or something like that. But it's still impressive to hit one that far. Right. And and John, you had you were saying the other day that one of the big uh, Cody Bellinger in center field is going to be someone that everyone looks back. Everyone's expecting a bounce back year. And you saw him the other day and again, only BP, but you said hitting home runs uh, through the wind, even, you know what I mean? That's gotta be an encouraging sign. Yeah. He's got a great swing. He's a, a great low ball hitter. I noticed a lot of the ones that come in down and in, he just puts a charge into him. But, you know, I actually, uh, I saw Patrick wisdom hit some yesterday that were just monster shots. He's got a ton of power. I think this lineup could be pretty good, you know? Um, yeah, Bellinger was, he's hit a ton. I mean, these guys are at, at, I think at that point where they'll be hitting about 10 or 15 out at BP, each guy, you know, um, I'm talking in a still wind, you know, they, they've been out here long enough. They're in shape, you know, when the first few days, they don't want to swing too hard. They don't want to get, you know, hurt themselves, but they, they're, they're very patient in terms of how they warm up. They know it's a long season. They know spring training can be long. They don't need to get into everything so fast. And they're at that point where these guys, they're well-oiled and, and ready to go, the guys that have been here early. Well, what would you tell, Rich, um, as far as somebody that's coming out to spring training the first time? What would you say it would be kind of your tips as someone that has been through your fair share of spring trainings? Um, I think just enjoy the experience. Um you know, don't don't set your expectations so high where I know sometimes people come out, I want to get Seiya Suzuki's autograph. And, you know, it's great to have that as a goal, but don't let it, you know, consume you. Um, go to the backfields. Um, yeah. Get to, get to see some of the kids. Um, it's fun. A lot of times you, you end up, 
you start talking to people, I mean, the way baseball fans do. And a lot of times you, it turns out the person you're talking to is somebody's, you know, mom and dad. I mean, I remember like Wilson Cunningham, who's, uh, he's going to school at, is it UIC? He's going to school in Chicago. I know that. Um, but you know, like during spring break and during the summers, he's playing for the Cubs. Um, I was watching him and all of a sudden I got talking to this guy, turned out to be his dad. And, you know, just a fun conversation. You meet a lot of really cool people out of spring training. That's how we met, right? <laughs> right. John, what would you say? What would be your tips for anyone coming out to the desert? Well, I was going to say the backfields. That's that's where I, I – that was my bread and butter for the longest time. Um, I have sometimes more fun going to the backfield games than the major league games. And so that, that would be the best thing. And most people don't realize that – like when I first started coming out, I would go, come out an hour early to the game thinking – they're already done working out and you're just waiting for an hour. If you come out at nine in the morning and experience it, you sometimes have more fun watching them work out or just as much fun as the game itself. So you really have to make a day out of it, not just come to the game and then leave the game. Right. And like I said, you know, and you guys are always the most friendly guys and you're talking to everybody and everybody respects what you do. I respect, you know, like I said, being here stuck in, in the Chicagoland area, I don't, you know, I live vicariously through you guys and I just count down the days till I get to Arizona. So I appreciate you guys jumping on the podcast. I appreciate all the work that you guys do. It's absolutely tremendous. And I look forward to seeing you when I come to air uh, to Arizona, March 7th, March 8th. So I'll nice. see you guys in a little bit. Huh? Love Sounds it. great. All right, guys, take care and good talking to you. Right on. This is the Fly the W670 podcast. This is episode number 12 of season two, and we're calling this one Pakoda Hates the Cubs. Want to remind you to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Crawley, earlier we talked about uh, Pakoda, what they think of our Cubs, about 77-ish wins for the Cubs. But now let's talk about some of the rules that we're going to see implemented in the upcoming season. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, some of the rules we know, some of them we don't. And we're just starting to get um, some pictures and stuff like that that I saw a lot of today um, as far as some of the changes that are going to be going coming down the pipe. Now, I will tell you that I know some, you know, some some of the changes that people don't like are here to stay. And that's what we just found out on Monday. So that would be yesterday. Um with these changes on Monday, the league's joint competition committee voted unanimously to make the Manford man permanent starring starting in 2023. This was originally done in 2020 during the shortened 60 game COVID season um, with the spring training kind of go or with spring training delayed because of the lockout last year. Uh, they decided to keep it in, but now it is a permanent rule. So what will happen once we get to our extra innings, now you're going to start having the runner on second base, whether you call it the ghost runner, whether you call it the Manford man, uh, that that's, that's going to change. And so, you know, I don't know about you, Dustin, honestly, I, I've heard a lot of players and I've heard a lot of coaches say, you know what, that's a rule that we actually like. It may be something the fans may not like. And I know it's something that relievers don't like because they don't want to get that charge to their ERA. But, uh, I can say as somebody that actually attends a lot of games, I've, there's nothing really that fun or about the 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 inning games. When you're sitting there and the beer sales are cut off and the game's just dragging and nothing's happening for a while, I, I think that this kind of 
puts things in motion. You see a lot more small ball when these extra innings, you know, you're just trying to get that runner over to third with, uh, with, with, you know, less than two outs and all that stuff. I think that, I think it makes it a little bit more exciting and it doesn't tax the bullpen. And that was, I think a really big problem is all of a sudden you're burning through arms and, and, uh, you know, we saw that in the playoffs. So it was that game in Seattle where I think it went, what, how many games did that, that went like 16 or 17 innings, right? They burned through pretty much every pitcher they had. So I, I just, I, I think it's better off. I don't know where you stand on the. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm glad it's here to stay. I'm glad it's here to stay. I, I like it. I think it's dumb for the bullpens. I think it adds a little juice uh, for a regular season game. Um, so I, I'm all for it. I, I think it's good for the bullpen. Unless you're going to expand rosters, which I don't think they're going to do, uh, I'm all I'm all for this. Right. The other option that I that, that was talked about plenty of times was having a 30 man roster. Right. So what you would have is you'd have a 25 man every day roster, and you could mix it up every day. But those 30 players are the ones that you had. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like you'd have maybe like three three pitchers and two position players that didn't suit up. So the next day they'd be fresh, ready to go, no problem, but they couldn't appear in a game. But that, that I like the idea. The other one that's coming out here is an, um, MLB's Joint uh, Competition Committee also made changes to the rules regarding position players pitching. Under the new guidelines, position players will only be allowed to pitch in extra innings in the ninth inning when the leading team is up by 10 or more runs or any time when the tra- when the trailing team is down by eight or more. Thoughts, Dustin? Uh, it's a lot of math. I don't want to have to figure out, are we going to see a position player come in? What it says to me is, we're not going to see much of that anymore. And I'm for that. I, I think it's a joke. I think it's an embarrassment to the game. Um, there's no need for that. And especially when we have the rule that we just talked about, where you're not going to burn up a bullpen, there's absolutely positively no reason for that whatsoever. Yeah, do you, do you remember that? I think it was Frank Schwindel last, was it last season, who threw that EFIS pitch. Uh, it was like 47 miles per hour or something like that. And, you know, I've, I've had some fun with it, but, but it, it feels like it's happening more and more frequently. And so that's why, I mean, I remember seeing Anthony Rizzo. I was at the game where uh, Anthony Rizzo finally got to pitch with the 0.00 ERA, greatest bullpen reliever, along with being the greatest leadoff man. Uh, I, I got to see Miggy throw, uh, you know, just, it's, it's, occasionally it's fun, but it's been a little bit too much lately. At least that's my opinion. Yep, absolutely. But uh, yeah, too much and it gets too cute. And then you got a guy who's retiring or a guy who, um, you know, oh, let's have some, it's not cute. It's not fun. It's disrespectful for the game, in my opinion. Right. And so now we get to my favorite rule. I'm so excited about this one, the pitch clock. 15 seconds with the bases empty, 20 seconds with runners on, okay? So there's a couple rules that kind of go underneath this here, right? If the time expires, right, you're 15 or 20 seconds and no pitch has been thrown, an umpire will call an automatic ball. Batters must be in the box and alert with at least eight seconds on the clock. If not, it's an automatic strike. They will only receive one timeout per plate appearance. This is gorgeous, Dustin. This yeah, is that's a good. Me. That's a good rule. That's a good. Instead of Nomar Garcia Para jumping out and redoing his uh, batting gloves every time, you know, you know, Velcro, 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 kick, 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 kick. That whole thing, right? It, it's right. that's going to pick it up a little bit, no doubt about that. 
I was I went to a couple minor league games. I obviously went to go see my guys down in South Bend, and it just moves so quickly. It just keeps the game going. You know, whenever you see one of those guys, I remember God, who was it? Tyler Chatwood. Every time he pitched. Or, or uh, you know, I remember Edwin Jackson was another guy. And every time it was just like torture. It was like just throw the ball, throw the ball. I mean, you know, it's it's not like there's a clock in the in in the game. It's just saying you're, what you're trying to do is kill the dead time when nothing is happening. You don't need to get out of the box five or six times. You got the pitch com right now. Get the pitch, get the signal, throw the ball, get in the batter's box. Let's move. Now, in addition pitchers will be limited to two disengagements per plate appearance. That could be either a step-off or a pickoff. They can make further pickoff attempts, but if they are unsuccessful, a balk will be called. So two times you can either step off or make a pickoff attempt. After that, if you go for it, you have to make an attempt at the pickoff, and if it's not successful, the runner advances, okay? Now the number of disengagement resets if the runner advances. So if that runner goes to second, now you're reset again. Yeah, I, listen, I, I think these are, so far, Crowley, all these things make total sense to me. I, I don't see why anybody would have a problem with that. No, nobody steals bases anyway, right? I mean, well, how, how many, what the leading base stealer last year, What if you had a guess, you probably know, but if I had a guess, it was under 50, right? Well, I mean, here's, here's the thing, though, Dustin, and we want to add this here, though. There is another new rule now, and that may affect what you're talking about when it comes to... Uh, stolen base attempts, because you're right. Stolen bases have been down, 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 down because nobody wants to run into outs. They have mathematically computed this to the six decimal point and can tell you that there just isn't much value in stealing bases because of the chance you're going to get thrown out. Again, baseball, 27 outs, you don't want to burn any of them. But now you're going to have bigger bases, and those bigger bases will help reduce collision on the base paths and incentivize stealing bases, MLB said. They're going to reduce the distance between first and second base and second and third base by 4.5 inches. Okay, that, that's a lot, Dustin. That is a lot. So I'm going to, I have a picture right here, and we'll describe it to the listeners. This was from Bob Nightingale, took this picture today. I was going to say, took, take it easy, what kind of picture you're showing us, okay? Right, so he took the old base, and they flipped it up on top of the new base, and it's significantly bigger when you look at it like that. Right. And listen, I mean, part of this is for safety, right? That That's the idea, and no more what they used to call, what, the neighborhood play, where, you you know, if you were kind of near the base and trying to turn a double play, they gave you credit. Now I'm guessing you're going to have to at least swipe the base a little bit with your foot. So none of that neighborhood, none of that neighborhood BS. Listen, if that creates a little bit, if that creates people stealing bases more, good. That's good. You know, the ball being in motion and players being in motion, that, that's what baseball needs. Even more than the, the quickening up of the game, speeding up the game, the ball needs to be in play and runners on base need to be moving around. That's right. a good thing. And that, and so that, if that helps, if that helps, Crowley, I'm all for it. Right, and that's what Theo Epstein again trying. Try, he was one of the main catalysts for doing this. And so, just so people are aware, the the pitch clock reduced the average nine inning minor league game by 26 minutes wow. to two hours and 38 minutes in 2022. To me. Two hours and 38 minutes is a pretty darn good, that, that to me, and again, I don't care about time. 
It could be a four-hour game as long as there's a bunch of action. Action. What, it's about action, right? That's what I just said in the last answer, right? You need the ball right. in play. You need players moving around. Right, and, and not only that, but you want to see the athleticism of these players. These guys are amazing athletes, you know? And if all you're doing is saying, hey, don't run. Well, that's not fun. I mean, I, when I grew up, I used to love watching these guys run. And this takes us to the next new rule is that the defensive shift restriction, okay? Teams will be required to position two defenders on each side of second base, and players cannot swap sides unless there is a substitution. All four players must be positioned on the infield dirt. Now, I was kicking this around, Dustin, and you remember Anthony Rizzo used to be the king of that with, with, with the bunts, right? right. Yep. And so he would be like literally like six feet away from the hitter. I used to be scared to death. I thought someone was going to pull back one day and take his head off. But, uh, you know, that's – so all four players must be positioned on the infield dirt. So, I mean, maybe he can start running. But that's going – again, that, that's the thing is that like – one of the things that Theo was saying is that, you know, we grew up, you and I, Dustin, and, and many of the, you know, maybe uh, older fans listening or maybe not too old, but middle-aged fans, we knew automatically what a hit was off the bat, right? We don't know that anymore. You see, you sit there and you, and you, and you watch a ball that goes straight up the middle and the guy's right there positioned perfectly. You got another guy where all of a sudden, especially lefties, I think of Schwarber, I think of Rizzo, I think of Joey Gallo, I think of guys like that where all of a sudden, they hit a ball and there's a guy it looked like softball rules playing short right center and it hits it right to him it's it's there there's been some 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 of the most bizarre shifts where you've seen like five guys loaded up on the right side it's just not fun you have to now be more athletic and make more athletic plays and i think that's where the cubs wanted to get in front of this that maybe there maybe Dansby Swanson's not the best offensive shortstop but he definitely was the best defensive shortstop and with the shifts gone now you're gonna have to really rely on that and i think that having that double play tandem of nico and and dansby swanson is going to be huge with the defensive shift and as we talked in the first segment dustin about pakoda i wonder how much pakoda can you know compute this stuff in here right with with, right. with no shifts can you can you you know with, with more base stealing uh, those type of things, I don't think, you know, Pakota factors. And so that may be another thing that could help the Cubs get three to four more wins. Yeah, it should definitely. I think the uh, Cubs are, are built to last up the middle. And I think, I think that's a very, very great point you just made. So, um, and the other uh, thing hold. about the, uh, the other thing about the Pakota thing that, that, that really isn't measured is the amount of, I think, we talked about before the clubhouse and the way that those guys are and, and the work ethic of the players. You, you can't measure intangibles with Pakoda. You can't put that in a computer. And so it's my opinion that, you know, as, as this episode is called, Pakoda hates the Cubs. I think the Cubs are very much, you saw what happened with the Cardinals last year. You Sometimes you just can't measure those type of things. And so for Cub fans, I'm telling you right now, don't be down on the Pakoda. You know, we've given you plenty of reasons on this episode to not be freaked out about the Pakoda projections. Be confident. I think this is a team that is going to be, and you saw it last year, Dustin, one-run victories, right? Those one-run games. I think this is going to be a team that's going to be involved in a lot 
of one run games. And here's the thing. Sometimes they go your way. Sometimes they don't. And that could, that again could be a huge thing that Dakota can't, you know, maybe Dakota has a losing those games, but if the Cubs got more experience, if they got some more veteran leadership, maybe more of those close one run games go their way. Yeah, that's what we have to hope for. you got to win the close ones, especially those close ones at home at the Friendly Combines. Well, Crowley, that's a wrap. Okay, we've got the uh, final uh, minutes here. Pakoda hates the Cubs. It's uh, our season two, and it's our episode number 12. Pakoda hates the Cubs. Crowley, great job as usual. Hope you have a uh, nice Valentine's Day. Pitchers and catchers reporting on Wednesday. Positional players out in Arizona on the 20th. You're headed out there not too long after that. Yeah, I will be out there uh, March 7th through 12th. So I'm just counting down the days and just we're almost there, Cub fans. And if any news breaks, we will definitely be on top of it. And news is going to be popping every day. You saw Dansby Swanson in camp today. You you saw uh, Marcus Stroman. He's here now. They're, everyone's getting there. So news will be popping. It'll be on the socials. Fly the W670 on Instagram and Twitter. Fly the W on Facebook. And you can always email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. And go Cubs. It's all over.